Hey, everybody. On the Run with Beards and Dunn is here without the beards again. Just to bring you guys up to date, uh, my best bud, Dick Beardsley, he got a terrible infection in one of his knees. From uh, one of, He's had his right knee revision done twice. Unfortunately for Dick, he got MRSA. It's a terrible infection to get, and they can lay in your knee for years and then for some reason activate, and he's got that. And Monday, he's going to get another knee replaced. The same knee, third time. I know Dick's got the Guinness Book of World Records for consecutive marathon PRs at 13. I think he's going for the consecutive right knee replacements at three now. I don't know. but So I had to think of somebody to bring in to fill Dick Beardsley's shoes. And, you know, that's that's a tough uh, gig. And I thought, well, there's only one person I can think of, and that's Rod DeHaven. <laughs> so I gave Rod a call. And, and, Rod, thank you so much for stepping in and helping us out on this podcast. Uh, no problem, Mike. Uh, sorry that uh, <laughs> Dick couldn't be here. Uh, you sure he wasn't attacked by a muskie or something up there and, you know, took you a know, bite out of his with, knee or something? Every time I talk to the guy, I say, Beard, stay in the boat. Stay in the boat because yeah. he's, you know, no one beards. He'd be leaning over to net some, like you said, giant fish and fall in, and you know, we'd never hear from the guy again. But, but no, you know, Rod, I, I got to tell you, you know, Dick and I have talked about, you know, we love doing this podcast, just reminiscing, talking about the old days, and you know, the older I get, the faster I was, and all that kind of stuff. But we kind of, I think there's a group of people out there that kind of like to hear some of the old stories or remember the old stories, and you know, I think I've heard every story Dick's got, and every time I hear it, I enjoy it all over again, and. And, you know, you came up on a short list of people we've, we've talked about. You know, we, we were fortunate to get Bill Rogers to come in, and he was on our podcast. And, and I know uh, Dick's talk, talking with Frank Shorter. I like dropping names of people that I never hang out with, but Dick does. And, and Joan Benoit, uh, we know Joan. I've met her up at Dick's running camp we did up in northern uh, Minnesota several years ago. And, and, and then Rod DeHaven, you know, you, you're, you're on the short list. Not we had Undy on. the same level. <laughs> oh yeah oh no you know i don't know if you ever do you ever read let's run.com do you ever look at that piece of whatever you want to call it yeah you can a, get some great race results right. uh, the message board you have some fanboys out there i don't know if you knew that or not there's they, some people they who like apparently you. know me so do you know what Maybe. your nickname is no rod the god mm. i think it's a little g Rod wow. the I saw that. And I had to chuckle because some guy put that on there. He goes, oh, Rod the God to Haven. And I thought, wow, well, he, you have a fan. You have a big fan out there. And, well, just to cut to the chase here, you know, the reason I think I'm really excited about having a chance to chit chat with you is, is coming up in South Dakota. I loved running early on. And, and we're going to talk about how you got into this here in a minute. But, you know, I just looked at the, you know, Jeff Schemmel's. The uh, uh, the Jim Reinhardt's, the the uh, um, you know Steve Heidenreichs, those guys were a generation a, a, ahead of me. I was just coming into high school; they were in college now. But you kept hearing about these guys, and then I got involved, and I got to run against guys like Larry Beasley and Mike and Mark Bills, and and some of those guys from our generation. And then you know we got out of there, and the next thing I hear about is a guy out of here in South Dakota. Uh, Rod DeHaven. And, you know, Rod, you know, we can get into, we will get into your high school, college, and, and post-collegiate career here, but, you know, it, it's an outstanding resume. You know, I, I, I Googled you last night. I went to Wikipedia, and it's like, holy shnikes, you know, it's a, it's a long list of accolades and things that you've accomplished, which I think is really, really admirable. Okay, now that I've shined your halo, and, and, and you know, hopefully you're, you're feeling comfortable about all this, is let's go back to, um, you know, you and I, I, I mentioned I thought you had ran the Jack 15 when you were 12, and you corrected me and said, no, I actually did it when I was 10. 
you know, I don't know if they had like child labor laws back in the, in the day or if they had like any, you know, the idea of a 10 year old kid going out and doing a 15.2 mile road race. That was, that was kind of out there. What, what, give me the story. What, what, what happened at age 10 that you even had this opportunity to do it? Um, so I think, uh, you know, in, in Huron, there was a, you know, a series of elementary school track meets and I think I had done all right in the 800 and I lived in an apartment complex where there was a, maybe a young man that's going into the eighth grade name of Brent Hintz, and he was going to go over and run the Jack 15, and he essentially talked me into it. So I think I did two four-mile runs, and my mother was kind enough to go out and buy me a pair of trade-home shoes. I won't call them running shoes because, you know, 1977 or 78 here, and there weren't a lot of options. And, uh, you know, they were priced right, um, brand new out of the box, and, uh, you know, headed over to Brookings, in the morning of the race, I think uh, the one overriding thing, huge thunderstorm the night before, and James Earl Ray had escaped from prison in Tennessee, and that would you know, bomb, <laughs> bomb the uh, radio station the whole way over to Brookings, and you know, got over to White and looked at all these people running the race and you know, thought, okay, I just jumped into the Olympic marathon, which um, yeah, was a uh, you know, big thing. Um, you know, and you know, for those that don't know a lot about the Jack 15, I think from its, you know, once it got going, you know, probably late 60s and into, you know, up and probably until Dick ran 114. And then the next year, of course, the wind went the wrong direction. And then I pretty much hmm. killed the Jack 15 in terms of participation numbers. Um, there used to be a couple thousand people show up for the finish of that thing. And there wasn't a couple thousand people that showed up, certainly when I finished. Uh, maybe when, uh, you know, some of the guys are running, you know, between 116, 117 that day finished, there might have been a bunch of people there. But, uh, it was a big deal, and it was covered by newspapers, tele- television stations, and uh, you know it had Olympic athletes in it. And yeah, you know, I was excited to be a part of that race and got through it. Um, yeah, there was a lot of walking, you know, towards the end. Um, you remember being threatened by some older kids that we were, I was going to pass with the the guy I was running with, and they just basically said, "Don't pass us," and we just kind of walked for a little bit longer and made our way across Highway 14, and. Then, trickled in and I think after I finished and got home next day uh, I tried to get up and had trouble getting down the stairs I think my mother was a tad concerned about the uh, effects of a 15 mile race on my uh, 10 year old uh, uh, skeletal frame but I kept running that same race uh, you know year after year after year ran it again you know coming off my sixth grade year and then ran it all the way through my junior year of high school um, would have run it my senior year probably but had some plantar fascia issues and uh, didn't run it, and then also had a postseason high school mile that I was a part of, and then never really ran it seriously after that. Unfortunately, it got down to like 125, I think, after my junior year, and you know, Jack 15 was a big deal, and it it fell in a great time, I think, uh, for a lot of high school kids and you know some college kids maybe thinking, okay, I can just kind of start my summer. You know, of course, a different era. People raced a lot. And, uh, you know, had disregard for their overall health and body, you know, 15 miles on, <laughs> we on didn't concrete, know. you know, sounds like a great idea. We didn't right? know any better. Right. <laughs> we didn't so, know any better. That is good. And it did, you know, it, it, this could have gone two ways. I'm never running another step again. <laughs> that was, a, you know, that, you must have come out of it, though, with a, I, I hear a sense of, and I, this is an important word in my head, satisfaction. I don't know what your thoughts are, but, you know, you had to have something that's like, you felt proud of yourself for doing it. I think, you know, it probably doesn't come as a huge surprise when a 10-year-old kid runs a race like that, that you get a lot of attention, whether it be, and I don't think when you're 10, you understand <laughs> if it's necessarily good or bad attention, but when you're 10, I think 
almost any attention is good. And, you know, I certainly, I'll admit, I, I enjoyed the attention. You know, I was, you know, got the plaque for the youngest finisher, um, you know, got my name in the paper because I was the youngest finisher. And that happened the next few years. So that was kind of my motivation. And then certainly, you know, you could see the distinct getting better from year to year. I think by the time I finished seventh grade, I was down to 142. And it's like, all right, you just run almost 45 minutes faster in two years. So you can mm. kind of see that, you know, progression. And, um, yeah, it, you know, I think there's a lot of motivation for people to get involved in this sport, whether you are, you know, going to be really good at it or you just kind of getting going in it, you know, and it might be, Hey, I got third in my age group and that's enough to spurn somebody along to like, Hey, I'm going to start committing to this. And, uh, or in my case, you know, just that, you know, recognition as the youngest finisher was, you know, big, big thing for me. And, um, you know, then running well as a youngster, it was good to a point, and I think I got a little complacent with things and just thought, well, I'd get better without really making much of an effort and kind of plateaued a little bit probably from, I would say it'd be a reasonable assessment of being you know, pretty average, you know, grades 9 and 10 um, as a high schooler, just kind of like I put in a little training but not enough or not like enough to kind of keep moving the needle, which is it's important, different stimulus as I would find out. And then certainly by grade 11, I think I figured it out and probably – went too far the other way where basically every day was a, was a hammer fest and, and uh, caught up to me a little bit uh, during the cross country season and then got a little smarter with it and during track. And then grade 12 was, you know, again, there was a level of intelligence that uh, perhaps my coaches instilled in me at that point. Cool. How important were the high school, you know, you had, I don't even know who your coach was. Do you, who was right. your high school coach? So I had, uh, Roger Lecker was a primary cross country coach. Mark Windlegas was an assistant coach for him and kind of coached the sprinters as well during the track season. And, you know, I was, you know, Huron doesn't typically have a great reputation for men's distance running. In the seventies, they were actually perennial state title contenders on the women's side of, uh, you know, the Carolyn Burnison and Vicki Coyle. Um, we're a big part of sure. that. Um, but I think my seventh grade experience with uh, Brian Nelson, Scott Perrin, Dan Christensen, Rodney Johnson, uh, <laughs> James Gilmore. Um, you know, there were a lot mm-hmm. of guys that I, when I got a chance to run with the varsity at the end of the season. Yeah, they weren't crazy about a seventh grader being a part of the mix. But what I got from them was that running was really enjoyable in a group, that they could sit there, mm-hmm. tell stories you know, and, you know, talk about, you know, are the Beatles better than the Stones? You know, those types of arguments <laughs> you would have in the 1970s. And, you know, wow, this is not, you're not, it's not all about suffering. And it's not all yeah. about just trying to go out and, you know, who can hammer the hardest every day. And I think that was really good. And then, you know, certainly I was blessed to have really good teammates that were, you know, friends as well. And that's, you know, sometimes how the sport works. Um, you know, Mike Cole, longtime friend, Dan Weed, um, Paul and Pat Ford, uh, John Van Wy. You know, I was fortunate to be on two mm. state uh, championship four by eight teams. And that was, you know, a lot of fun. You know, just because both times I think we weren't expected to win and we got it done. And, um, you know, it was a big thrill to be a part of that. And, you know, I think, again, my college experience, people will always be a big highlight in college. You know, easy winning the 19, being a part of the 1985 national championship team. Cool. Yeah, you know, when you said you're average in ninth and tenth grade, let's just throw some times out there. What, what kind of time did you run in the mile? You know, did you run the mile in ninth grade? What was your best mile? Do you remember? Come on, you should have all these memorized. Uh, somewhere under four thirty. Yeah, I think a state was in spearfishing. Okay. It was snowing, and you know, 
I, it was tactical, and I was in it with 200 to go, and then Stuart Lund threw the hammer down, and it was like, yeah, thanks for playing. No, I just want everybody listening to go, that's not that's not average, Rod. It's average for you, but for that, you know, I remember as a ninth grader, I couldn't break five minutes, you know, and it was that was a goal, you know, breaking five minutes. Now, you're, you know, going sub 430 as a ninth grader, what'd you run as a sophomore, if you don't mind? Do you remember? Uh, probably around 424. Um, okay. You know, Stevens. You know, that, see, that was my... <laughs> who eventually became a college That teammate. was my best... Um, and I had some so problems that year of some hip flexor stuff and maybe used a little too yeah. much DMSO on my hips, which was, of course, another great uh, wonder drug of the 80s. Um, Dick not and only I have of, talked about DM, not only of running, but the horse industry, which. Yeah. yeah. DMSO is short for four words. I can't remember there. It's a chemical concoction. It was actually called. Yeah, it was a horse liniment and it could also be used as a uh, degreaser for <laughs> industrial equipment. I guess it would dissolve. And somehow or another, the horse liniment thing, you know, horses are going lame. You know, I don't know what going lame means. They get tendonitis, I guess, or something. And this liniment would, for some miraculous, like cortisone maybe, it would absorb into the horse tissue and help cell reproduction, help it heal faster, it appeared. Well, it didn't take a runner long to figure out, well, if it works for horses, maybe it'll work for me. And and I know I got some, I probably shouldn't mention Tim Blackstone's name, but his dad is a veterinarian. And anyway, if you had a source, you could find this DMSO and, and I used it. And I know Dick said he did because well, runners are notorious for chronic overuse injuries. And we're always looking for a miracle cure to get us back to running faster. And so the DMSO thing, when you bring <laughs> that made me laugh because, mm-hmm. uh, what was kind of goofy about it, Rod, I don't know what you can share your experience. And we're not endorsing this by any stretch. I don't hear much about it anymore. I thank the Lord. Um, you, you'd rub it on an affected area. And I don't know how it penetrated through the skin because the skin is a pretty good protective membrane for our body to keep infections out, whatever. But for some reason, as soon as you start rubbing that stuff in, I could taste it in my mouth. I don't know if you had any experience like that. Or it gave a, it gave a person a horrid, milky, sour milk breath which was real good with the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you've been drinking bad milk. Did you ever have anything like that? I don't recall. Yeah, I, I... Oh, good. <laughs> Let's not go any further. Let's yeah, change it but whatever, it, it worked. You know, it was like snake oil, and it was fine, and I was able to get through the state meet and turn around and ran the Jack 15 the next week, so... Well, it's... Okay, so you ran the Jack as a kid. You got into track and cross-country early on. Kind of, you know, like most of us, you had success, but you kind of learn. The hard way, the hard. Yeah, I went to the SDSU running camp. Did you ever go to that thing when Jay Dirksen or Scott Underwood put it on? Never went to a running camp. Never in went. My life. Okay, we, <laughs> I went three years in a row, and Larry Beasley was there. I mean, Mark Adams. I could go through some Doug Graves out of Iowa. Some really outstanding runners would go to this running camp because it was such a new concept. And um, you know, we had Rich Greeno, we had Russ Strandy, we had Jay Dirksen, we had uh, Lyle Clausen. You know, we just had some outstanding coaches who really. Gave us the baseline of, you know, hard easy. You know, if you're going to hammer one day, you, know, you got to give your body that opportunity to recover. And then, you know, they, they were just upright guys. They kind of lived the running lifestyle and we modeled their behavior. You know, they were good guys, straight shooters, honest as the day is long. You know, Jay Dirksen, when we talked about here's where we're going to run, you might go, well, you know, if we cut across this parking lot, there's no cutting across the parking lot. You're, you're going to cut that's, there's no shortcuts to success sort of attitude. You know, if you're going to do the workout, you do the workout, you know, and, and some of them people actually would do a little more than what the coach wanted him to do. I'm talking to Dick Beardsley there because they just love 
you know, the more I worked, the better I got. And the more recognition I got, the better satisfaction I felt. Gee, this is kind of a, an addictive cycle you get caught up in. And it's, and it's a positive thing. It's a positive thing. But like anything, you can overdo, overuse, overuse, overuse. Um, yeah, how about, you know, uh, I'm just going to say you had an outstanding high school career. State champion in cross country. Uh, your senior year, undefeated your senior year. Three state championships your junior year in track, the four by eight, the mile, the two mile, and then you repeated that again your senior year. And I read you got MVP, I guess most valuable, you know how they call MVP in track, player, athlete, uh, those two years, which is a really feather in your cap. Usually sprinters get that because they can do like eight events or something like that and hurdles and relays and all that. But uh, so you were, you know, to cut to the chase, it was so much fun. I graduated from high school in 75. Were you an 85 grad out of high school? 84 grad. Okay, so you were 10 years, nine years behind us. So I was, you know, kind of, <laughs> I was over the hill when you were just coming up. And, uh, you know, I know you ran 406. 409. I'm wrong. 409. Okay, 409. All right. And, you know, outstanding. I mean, for high school, I ran, uh, I always break up on my Howard Wood 15, you know, my, my 354, I always equate that to a 412 mile. And, you, you know, you can, you can use all kinds of formulas and stuff. And I was very proud of that, you know. And then you see high school kids running sub 410s and now sub 4s. And then bless their hearts. Good for them. And, uh, and so we were, you know, we knew who you were. And I got to admit, you know, I assumed you were getting heavily recruited by some of the powerhouses, track and field, cross country programs around the United States. And he not dropped some schools, three or four schools that might have been calling you up and saying, if you want to come here, we can make it happen. Well, certainly being a college coach now, the recruiting process in 1983 and 84 was completely different. Um, I think I gotten a letter from Indiana via Sam Bell because of the Steve Heidenreich connection. Um, you know, Coach Underwood, uh, you know, he called me multiple times. Uh, Dwayne Shope, who was at USD, came up and visited. Rob Kinnan, who was at Augustana, uh, did a home visit. Um, Jay Dirksen had, you know, had shown some interest. I ended up going on college visits to uh, USD, um, Nebraska, and SDSU. Um, you know, probably took um, the SDSU and uh Nebraska visits a bit more serious than I took the USD visit. And, uh, you know, and, and it just, I, I, I get, you know, when I went to Nebraska, it was, I went down there for the big eight meet and they had maybe eight guys on a visit and six of them already knew where they were going to school. You know, they had already, mm -hmm. Hey, I've committed to Wisconsin. I'm going to Colorado, going to wherever. And, uh, you know, I, at that time, my, my times were 418 and maybe, I don't know, 930 something. Not stuff that really moves the needle for you know Division One programs that are trying to win conference championships or project into All Americans or whatever. And uh, of course Scott and you know the message was always very consistent at SDSU. You know you have a chance to you know be a part of a national championship team and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I think you know that was an important message. But ultimately my decision came down to a lot of like the people I met when I was on my visits. And you know Jay did a great job with a visit. Um, I think. When I came to SDSU, there was just more of an authentic, like, you know what, we enjoy the process a lot. We enjoy running. We enjoy hanging out with each other. We're going to have fun. We're going to try and win a national championship. You know, it's great if you come here. We're still all going to be here, and we're still going to go for it. And, <laughs> Where do you come and th there was that, that kind of feeling where I think in Nebraska, it was, a, you know, because of Division One and, you know, that level of Division One, there was a bit more of a business feel to it. 
and mm. uh, you know ultimately you know, Scott did a great job of appealing to me when Jay I'd run really really fast at Howard Wood and so this is May of my senior year and uh, I ran uh, uh, I think 908 in the morning of the 3200 or early afternoon and then came back and split 152 in the four by eight and you know Jay Dirksen calls me on Sunday night he goes don't sign anything you know I'm coming up to Brookings tomorrow night we're gonna talk and uh, I think in the meantime, Drake or somebody else called and said, hey, we'll give you a full scholarship, you know, because they were at the meet too. And uh, didn't take Drake very seriously either. So Jay comes <laughs> up and he calls Jeff Schemmel. He puts Jeff Schemmel on the phone and says, Jeff, why did you go to Division One? You tell Rod why you went to Division One." And, of course, different era. You know, when you look at that yeah. you know, really golden area of South Dakota High School track, you know, you've got Steve Heidenreich, who's going to a Big Ten school in Indiana, Jeff Schemmel, and they both end up breaking four minutes in the mile. And then you follow that with Jim Reinhardt, who is you know, arguably you know better than both yeah. of them, and you know they all chose to go to Division One schools, and you know for them, you know Jeff, it was a big deal. He said, "I always wanted to go to Division One. Um, it was going to be hard to talk me out of it." And you know I, I took that advice to heart. It was not easy, uh, but in the end, I just kept going back to um, you know what kind of experience do you want to have. And, you know, what kind of people, what kind of relationships do you want to uh, build upon? And, and you know, I don't, certainly there are perks at, uh, you know, a large Division One university that has, you know, a crazy budget, like University of Nebraska had that SDSU didn't have. Um, but in the same sense, you know, a lot of amazing stories being in, you know, 10-hour van rides from South Bend, Indiana, back to Brookings, <laughs> um, you know, car rides. We're going to get to some of those. <laughs> Lawrence, Kansas, and things like that that um, you can't replace, and, you know, I, I, you know, don't regret, and you know, I think no. help me uh, post collegiately as well. Be able to navigate the, uh, the odd world of uh, you know road racing, you know, as it as it is. So, yeah, right. Everything you said resonates to me. I say, you know, going to SDSU and going with J- Mike and Mark Bills, they were they were they were really good guys, uh, straight shooters, hard workers. Then those Joel and Paul Pratt, and you know the Brant boys. You're going to have a lot of fun with them around. I had a college roommate for three years. Randy Fisher and I lived in the same goddamn dorm room. Well, if you don't get along with a guy, you ain't going to spend three years in a dorm room with him. We were all on fourth floor Brown. Under uh, Dirksen started doing that. He put all the runners up on fourth floor Brown because it was quiet hours, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. You had to have your door shut. The lights were dimmed. You couldn't have any loud noise. It's a pretty nice environment for runners because uh, we're usually up early and to bed early. And right. and it doesn't sound like the most stimulating, but we, we still, I tell you, we still had a great time. And, you know, those experiences you said, Mike and Mark, Mark, Mike Bills and I really related to each other well. And he was a much better, he was three-time All-American. And, and we redid so many workouts together. And he and I now in our older age get together and go, you know, he goes, Mike, those are the best years of my life. And I said, I agree with you. You know, we all, now is the great, the best year of my life. I mean, it's currently what we're, you should be happy or find something else to do. But, you know, you like to look back and go, well, if I had to do anything differently, you know, Rod, I don't, I don't know your thoughts. You know, I don't think you have any, <laughs> any regrets. It doesn't appear to me. I sure don't. Uh, you know, you always wonder what if, but I no, um I have so many fond memories and great experiences. And like you said, those, those road trips, and some of the workouts, you know, the racing is what you're really looking to, you know, but it's the, it's the journey, you know, that's not the destination a lot of times. And I'm, I'm guessing you use your story a lot with your recruits and you get a lot of good ones because mm-hmm. um, they're probably kind of like you were. Like, you know, they want to be the best runners they can be, but they want to be happy. 
They want to be in an environment where they're enjoying themselves. And so obviously, you know, we were excited when you, when you committed to South Dakota state, we were all like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And it was, you know, let's go through, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time while we can 20. I think I read somewhere you got, uh, uh, 20 NCC titles in college, North Central Conference. You got 16 All-American when you talk about indoor, cross-country, outdoor. I don't know how they keep track. Somebody kept track of those things for you. Um, you know, I'm not even trying to talk about school records. You know, I think the most impressive, and I don't know, yeah, that's fun to ask guys. You know, you ran a 148 half. Um, you ran, I know now the, some of your PRs were set after college. I don't know that your 340, 1500 meters, that was not in college? Or in, was college it in college, yeah. In college, not bad. You know, uh, 1340 for 5K, that was post-college? That was post-collegiate, yes. Okay. I think you ran, you broke Joe Brandt's record, though, didn't you? His 1405? Uh, no, I never did. I ran 1401 oh, in an unattached year look. in 1988 and at the Drake okay. Relays. And uh, then my last race as a Jackrabbit, ran 1405 just off of Joel's record. And Wow. Well, Joel can hold that one over you. Yep. Anyway, oh, yeah. I'm sure he 100%. does. No, anyway, he's never brought it what, What's your, you know, you've got, I mean, there's, there's hundreds, well, literally, well, maybe not hundreds, dozens of races in college. One of what, you know, if you said, you know, the most proud, and that's, that's a hard one to ask or to think through. If you said, you know, the one I'm really proud, that 148, I mean, that's outstanding. I couldn't run a 54 second quarter open. Now try running two of them back to back. I don't know, you know, and then being a marathoner, what a range, you know, from 148 half to a 211 marathon, which we'll get to in a minute here. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything really, though, like he said, you know, Mike, of all of those races, that 10-year-old Jack 15 is the one I'm most proud of. Her. <laughs> no, I don't know. which. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, the 148, 800, um, you know, it was a, a race I thought I was just lucky to make the final. You know, I ran 151 in the prelim, and then um, – you know, Freddie Williams, who was at Albaline Christian, who was at that time, if you won in Division Two, you could move up to Division One. Well, I believe he had won Division Ones the year before in uh, 1984 or 85. And uh, so this would have been 1986. And, uh, you yeah, know, we're going down the, I go out 54, probably very end of the line and go down the back stretch and, all these guys kind of fan out into lanes two and three and even four, thinking they're going to go around Freddie Williams, and he's just baiting them. He's just like, well, just try and pass me. And, you know, when he did that, he actually slowed down, and I just moved right in behind him and didn't have to run an extra step and then just held it together all the way down the stretch and ran 148. And there probably wasn't anyone more surprised in the building than myself that I was able to do that. Um, it so, sounds tactically very astute. Uh, I mean, you you know, in cycling, we always say be on the right guy's wheel. You know, the guy who's, you know, Peter Sagan, Mark Cavendish, these great sprinters. If you're going to be in the mix, if you're on their wheel, everybody's fighting for their wheel. Well, you got on this guy's wheel, I guess. So when he went, you were there and could just, you know, you followed. Yeah, I knew enough know, about good, Freddie good that, um, <laughs> you know, from the year before he had actually been in the 1500 and gotten the defending champ tripped up and all that sort of business and, you know, he came back and won the eight easily, but he also split like 45 in the four by four. So it was like, yeah, I'm not sure any of these other guys can run 45. So if you're going to sit on somebody and yeah, I, I knew I was going to outkick Freddie Williams, but if he's, if someone's going to, you want somebody's jet stream, it might be Freddie. So it worked out well uh, in his, uh, in his draft. Right. And I think Let's the other look, thing back, yeah. might've been, um, you know, the four minute mile race at, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, wow. Tell some, what happened there. 
So it was a you know a year that Division Two didn't have the indoor championships, and uh, you know Scott had talked to Jay, and Jay said, "Hey, we're going to set up this race. You know, nobody's ever broken four inside the Devaney Center, and at that time is still a flat two hundred meter track, which flat two hundred meter tracks were the the Cadillac of indoor facilities at that time, and uh, you know they were going to have a rabbit and get it all set up, and you know you got you should bring some guys down. It's going to be going to be a great race. We're going to last rate." event on Friday night and so we drive down we actually coach Underwood arranged to have one of the freshmen on the team lend his car to five older jackrabbits to take his car to Lincoln Nebraska and uh, so we go down there and and you know Bob Wilson who's the big cog on our national championship team you know unfortunately blows his Achilles up in the three mile race so the night's not starting off great um, and then I think we got some average results, maybe in the 800 or thousand yards or whatever they were running. And then Jeff Mossman and I are in the seven man, uh, mile race and, uh, Kurt Russell, who is an all American steeplechaser in Nebraska, you know, steps out and says, you know, I'm going to try and take us through it 258 or 259. And, um, he was, he was money. And the cool thing was every time you went around the track on the back stretch, initially there was, you know, six lanes you could run in. After three laps, there was down to three lanes. And by the time we got down to 600 to go, you don't dare try and get to the outside of lane two because there was nowhere to run because the the entire Nebraska team was all over it. And the announcer did a great job of keeping the thing hyped up. And then uh, John Vestier, who was a Nebraska athlete from South Africa, uh, out ramming to the line. He runs four, four flat point seven, six or seven, and I run four flat point nine and... Yeah, you know, that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, I, I, you know, that's that's a. I'm glad you remember you brought that up because we all heard about it. You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, well, you want to break four. Well, you, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, your guys are right there. Yeah, and we right came there. back and same so, next uh, year and basically did same thing, just a couple ticks slower, and just you know never <laughs> got it done. But um, you know, those were those were it was fun, and you know. Yeah. It, you know, thanks to Jay and, and Scott for arranging that and making it happen. And, um, you know, it was, it was cool. Got me to the NCAA Division One Indoor Championships where I was able to uh, uh, you know, be an All-American pretty much by default because I think only about eight guys qualified for the national meet. So <laughs> it was uh, it was fun. So, yeah. Cool. Now, just kind of back in, how many miles on, you know, this very general in high school, you know, this is something everybody wonders, you know, geez, Rod DeHaven was outstanding in high school. The guy must have been putting in 100-mile weeks when he was in high school. I've heard that's not necessarily true. No. Um, I heard you weren't a big mileage guy. No, I think, you know, standard kind of summer, like the two weeks before school started, you know, we would double four or five days a week. So those those would be mileage day weeks that would be just abnormal. And then in season, you know, once school started, I wasn't getting up at 6 a.m. or anything like that. I was just running in the afternoon and, yeah, it was probably between 30 and 40 miles a week, you know, most most every year. It didn't really change a lot. Um, and I think, right. you know, probably the big difference, my junior year actually committed to running in the summer. And, um, yeah, I knew I was pretty – I think I ran the Brandon 20K and maybe like 108 or something right before the cross-country season officially started and knew that I was probably decently fit for the cross-season. And basically, like I said, hammered a lot, hammered all the races – and eventually I fried, you know, the state and he was at my home course and uh, I'd beaten guys by 15, 20 seconds routinely during the season. Could tell the week before the state meet that I was maybe in a little bit of trouble, but eked out a win. And then at state, went out hard, 
and just got rolled up, uh, you know, probably with a mile ago and had no response. Bankrupt, I think, as what the British would say. What play? What place did you finish? Sixth, fifth, sixth. It didn't didn't matter. Okay. Ironically, our team ran great. You know, we were I think top five the first time maybe here in high school has been that high, and you know since you know the sixties or something. I'm not even sure if we were that high in the sixties, but team ran great. And you know it was you know it, it was one of those things where. I like to tell my athletes now you get 15 minutes to pout. I think I pouted longer than 15 minutes. I didn't run a lot between uh, that day and probably uh, when sometime in January or February when I thought, okay, well, uh, probably better start. If I'm serious about running track, I better start jogging again. So I, I can relate. You know, nobody cares, but I got 20th my junior year, and I was in top 10 shape. Randy Fisher, who got second at the state meet, beat me at a region by oh, five or 10 seconds. And I was ecstatic. Ran the race of my life at the region. So I'm thinking, man, Randy Fisher is going to win the state cross country meet. I'm within 10 seconds of him. I'm in top 10. And, you know, as you know, back in the day, Rod, top 15 got medals. Mm -hmm. That was always kind of, you know, the little things. I always laugh. People run t-shirts for, run a marathon for a dang t-shirt. You know, I'll give you a t Anyway, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, the goals we set. And I, I had never count your chickens and you know I, I finished 20th as a junior and was just hey what's the word i went home devastated mm -hmm. as they stay right. on let's run.com but i use that as catalyst as gasoline as motivation you know so those next year when you thought there was no lane in bed you know hoping i was going to do good this year it's like get up and go for a run and and, and yeah it's a two-edged sword though you know motivation is a wonderful thing um obsession can be a deadly thing because you just right. you overtrain all right, so we, we outstanding high school career, outstanding college career. You graduate from SDSU. I don't even know what your major was. Computer science, math minor. Cool. And you got a job in that field. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> All right. I just remember Madison, Wisconsin. How did Madison, Wisconsin come up on your radar? Uh, you know, it was something that I thought about from a standpoint of I wanted to keep running, and I think at that time – road racing had taken off in a professional sense in the United States. And, you know, maybe not in like you know, the sense of everything looked like the Boston Marathon, but there were a lot of regional races that maybe you'd have, you know, two, 3,000 people in a 10K, and they might give you a 1,000 bucks if you can win, and if you're 800 for second, you know, on down the line. And you could probably find a race within a four-hour radius of Madison almost every weekend or every other weekend. And it just seemed to fit um, in terms of, uh, you know, place to train, different stimulus. And it was really good for me. Um, within a month of being mm -hmm. in Madison, I think I got the second in a 10K in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, lost to Patrick Sang, who's a fairly famous coach now. Coaches a very a lot of high-level Kenyans. Uh, no slouch in his own right. I think he was like an 810 steepler. Or, you know, ran at Texas and got a Ph.D. at Iowa State. And ran like 29.30 or 29.40 for a 10K. And, uh, yeah, I remember getting in touch with Bob Bartling. And, you know, Bob said, hey, you know, there's this race in Marshalltown. You should come down there. Well, sure enough, Patrick, who was based in Ames, was there again. Same race. We basically kicked to the finish. And he out kicked me again. But, you know, at that point, it was like, hey, I'm kind of hooked. And then cooked on with a, uh, a Nike had a lot of regional teams at that point that they would send to national cross-country meets. And I got hooked up with Nike North. And just basically got equipment and a couple pairs of shoes, um, and not much equipment, and you know, kind of continue with that. And then uh, I think that spring of 1990, kind of went on another little mini tear. Won the uh, uh, 
I can't remember. It was maybe 12th or something at Boulder Boulder. And then won the Steamboat mm-hmm. Classic in Peoria, Illinois. And ran like 17.59 for four miles. And made some money. And all of a sudden, I had an offer to go to Europe with a bunch of Iowa State guys. And Nike was going to set me up with a legitimate equipment contract. And, yeah, that pattern kind of continued there for a couple of years until 92. Didn't qualify for the Olympic track trials. And uh, the coldness of Nike was, hey, I got cut by August of 1992. Just saying, wow. you know, we've got a lot of people that we need to take care of. And, you know, I'm, they did the You're math. not one of them. Well, yeah, you, yeah. you know, do the math. You didn't qualify for the track trials. Why should we be sending you gear? And Well, let's back up. 88, you qualified in the 1500? In college, For yes. the trials? Yeah, I was still yeah. in college. Um, and that was from the 87 Division II National Championship race. Which, memorable in its own right, the two guys that beat me, uh, Peter Rono and uh, uh, Kip Chariot, both were in the Olympic final in 1988. So they were running for Mount St. Mary's, which is a small Division II Catholic school in Maryland, and went on to both make the Olympic final. And Peter Rono won the 1,500-meter Olympic Games in Seoul, South Korea, you know, roughly 17 months after, you know, me running wire to wire with him. I think he ran three. He didn't even win the division two meet Kip Chariot, who still has a national meet record from that day in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, when it was 95 degrees, um, ran 338, Peter ran 339. I ran 340 and a ton of other guys, you know, ran, I'm sure in a lot of cases are still school records at places like Cal Northridge, Mankato state. Um, if you look if somebody, you know, the 12 people who might actually sit this far through the podcast, look some of that stuff up. I'm guessing you might see some school <laughs> records still sitting there. Well, you know, those guys are big fish in a, or yeah. in a little pond, you know, when right. you think of Division Two and what have you. Right. So what happened at the Olympic trials in 88? You you get to, you, you have to run semi, a semi or prelim, semis, and then final? I and didn't make it out of the prelims, ran like 344. I, I led the whole heat, pulled nine guys through the next round, and everyone sat my hand and said, hey, thanks for taking it out. And next day I know I'm yeah. in a swimming pool contest with Mike Steinborn at a Motel 6 somewhere in Indianapolis. So... Cool. Okay. Way it goes. 92 comes and goes. Let's let's let 92 go. Nothing. He didn't get a qualifier for any distance. Marathon 90. And then, uh, okay, the 94, you run your first marathon, Twin Cities. Right. You, what, know, you know, so you you're running make, road races all. You got to make yeah. it. You got to make an Olympic trials, right? If you're going to keep doing this, you know, I'm already kind of right. five, six years out of school and you're starting to get those weird looks like, so, you know, what are you trying to do with this? And, um, yeah, so that was natural to kind of go to that progression. I'd probably been running a lot of 70, 80 miles a week while working full time, managed to up that to over a hundred miles a week while working full time, had a bit of a breakthrough in the 10 national 10 K race, ran in the, the mid upper 28s, um, at a decently difficult course in Tennessee and went into, uh, twin cities, fairly confident, uh, ran side by side with Steve Placentia almost the whole way. And then as soon as it got to, uh, Summit Avenue in uh, St. Paul, down there by St. Thomas University of St. Thomas. The uh, yeah, elevation changes a little bit. I started cramping. The last couple of miles were rough. Ran two fourteen. Uh, you know, I had a great experience with it. You know, got me qualified. What place did I get you? Do you remember? Oh, fifth or sixth. I don't know. Top ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they were doing prize money for the top ten or fifteen. I would assume. But yeah, you know, it was like probably a three or four thousand dollar check. You know, New Balance. I'm kind of jumping all over here, but you kind of ended up with them as far as a sponsor. Yep. So and how did that how did that come about? So when I was in Wisconsin, I was training with a, a guy named uh, Tim Hacker, who was NCAA cross country champion. <laughs> and His son's doing fairly well these days, right? 
Yep. And uh, Tim was at the end of a contract with Nike, and uh, he had a buddy named Joe Stinzi who was on a Badger National Championship cross country team, who was salesperson, you know, for a lot of different companies. But at the time with New Balance, and he had talked to their marketing people and said, "Hey, Tim, you know, New Balance has got some money." And Tim, yeah, pretty loyal to Nike, I'm gonna stay with that. But Tim, you know, asked like, "Hey, would they be interested in Rod? And Rod's done this, plus this, this." And so they said, "Yeah." And the deal, the terms of the deal were $100 a month, and I quit. <laughs> there you go. And well, so, and I'm like, okay, well, $100 is better than nothing, and the equipment will be much appreciated. And and you know, what year was that? It was uh, mm-hmm. probably 90, 93, probably spring of '93 okay. when that happened. And uh, you know, stayed with New Balance until I was done, you know, completely until 2003, and. Um, you know, it was a good good run with them. You know, it certainly, uh, you know, the marketing people, particularly John Evans, who I think is still with New Balance, um, was was great. You know, always understanding of you know my situation and what I wanted to do, and really good about the one year contracts. Even when I was dinged up, you know, I think some years I was worth more than what they were paying me, and other years, eh, probably not so much. <laughs> okay. But um, you know, they were good about it. the only multi year contract I signed was at the very end, and of course, then I got. Hurt my SI joint, and yeah, they paid me for an entire year, and that that was um, well, that was that. I think they were made a good investment <laughs> anyway. Right. And of course, Dick, you know, Dick speaks so well of New Balance, and that they gave him a shot when nobody else would, and so that's that's pretty cool. All right, you know, I'm I'm, I'm looking at my list here. Ninety six. Then you had your qualifier for the uh, the Olympic trial marathon, and you also had a ten k. Right. Yeah, I ran and, a really uh, good ten k uh, in ninety five, yeah. and. Uh, just narrowly missed the world championships in the 10K. Uh, got out kicked by Tommy Ansbury at a, 10, a national meet in Sacramento. He didn't have the standard yet, but uh, turned around a couple weeks later and got it in Montreal and uh, missed out on the Gothenburg World Championships by just that much. But I also got dinged up a bit from that and um, kind of struggled, you know, physically for the next, uh, you know, probably 18 months or so. Um, so the lead up to the 96 marathon trials was okay. I ran, I think, a decent half in San Diego, 102, and yeah, I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe I got a chance. Um, but then things kind of went south after that, and then lined up in Charlotte, not super confident, and ended up dropping out at 20 miles. And mm. yeah, that kind of took the edge off, but it was like, oh, I can come back for the track trials, but physically never got back. Made the 10K final, uh, but got lapped. I think that was, you know, for like co-workers, that was their deal. They, than they yeah, they could sit there and watch me get lapped and by Todd Williams, and that was that. was that. And, again, that was probably a point where you're like, okay, you're going to keep doing this because it's, you know, you're getting to be, you're almost, I guess, 30 at that point, and it's like, okay, you're going to get on with life a bit now. And, uh, you know, really struggled with injuries, and finally, 97, you know, got some stuff going again, and then by 98, physically, fire. yeah, got yeah. some things going. You know, won the U.S. half uh, marathon and then ran 213 in Chicago and and then yeah I got to you know run Boston for the first time which was a struggle admittedly I didn't train six, correctly for that sixth place though uh, top ten well yeah, yeah. 2019 not so much no I was uh, oh, okay I ran 219 and it was uh, it was an ugly face uh, last six miles um, and then ran the world championships in Seville and I think it was 21st there under I think it was like 95 degree heat and ran like 221 or so um, and you know, learned some things from that, and then uh, you know, then the build up to the Olympic trials. Yeah, I finally decided, hey, I'm going to work part time, 
and uh, that made a big difference. And uh, in the lead up, I think I ran 28, 28, 14 or 16 at Stanford and a couple guys that were more under the track. I go, you're just getting ready for the marathon. I go, yeah, Wednesday I ran four by two miles on the track and uh, yeah, trying to get ready. And, and then, you know, again, a little bit of hiccup, but uh, I think, you know, training wise, I kind of figured some stuff out and um, had done a couple of 25k marathon pace runs that really set me up well. Knew I could run at a certain pace, and I was confident that if it was good weather, I could run 211 or 212 at Pittsburgh if I needed to. Obviously, the weather didn't cooperate, but I ran to the level of fitness and kind of used okay, if it's going to be this warm, you know, add on 30 like seconds for each mile. I figured <laughs> okay, 215 was going to be it, knowing that wasn't going to yep. going to get you know more than anybody else than one person in, and that was. I mean, that was the tough part that it was, uh, yeah, the press conference afterwards was a bit of a, uh, it was like going to a, a wake, you know, everyone was like, all oh, right, you know, <laughs> what's wrong with American Marathon and everything else. And right. So, you know, again, you know, things weren't as bad as people made them out to be, you know, on that day in that race, David Morris was a 209 guy. Jerry Lawson was a 209 guy. Todd Williams, one of the, you know, uh, one of the best runners of a generation, Stop. you know, just had a rough day, you know. You know, when it starts, when a marathon starts at 66 degrees and it's humid and it's May and no one really anticipated a hot weather race, the one thing with marathons is bad things are going to always happen <laughs> and you just have to be able to manage it. and Ride it out, yeah. And, uh. you know, to go into that race thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go out and run sub 213, you know, that was a day where it was probably the weather was worth three and a half to four minutes and, you know, it's not a super flat course in Pittsburgh either. Um, mm. So, you know, that's, that's my own little soapbox moment. You know, it wasn't, America wasn't as bad as we thought. And then, of course, on the flip side or in the wings was Khalid Kanuchi, who was, you know, days away from becoming an American citizen. Timing worked out well mm. for me that he didn't, and he was also injured. And uh, that's how I make an Olympic team. And as I like to tell people, timing mm. is very critical in this sport. And uh, be in the right in place at the right general. time. You know, good things can happen if you are prepared and uh, ready for the opportunity. Let's back, you know, 98, 99, 2000. You know, if you said, well, those are pretty good years. They had like a, a road race circuit championship. I think you won that. Is it like a series of races? If you, yeah. uh, they, they somehow give you points. Right. It was a bunch of American money involved. Bunch yeah. of American championship races. Um, you know, they just award points kind of like, uh, you know, a track meet and you know, the most sure. person who has the most in the year, I think got 10,000 bucks. And yeah, I was yeah. certainly motivated by cash. No doubt about that. <laughs> and, um, you know, had the durability to run a lot of different distances. And I think it was lucky yeah, enough to win, ability. To, to win so, it twice. I'm just a tacky guy. I always go to New Balances. Did they step up to the plate now and say, hey, okay, the guy, you know, now before 2000, I mean, whatever they were giving you, they got their money's worth. You know, you win the Olympic trials. You go to the Olympics, you're a New Balance athlete. They had to be pretty tickled. Yeah, um, I think in their, you know, they treated me well. I think it was, you know, the wrestling match was between, you know, within my own mind was like, well, what if you didn't work? You know, what if you, right. you know, the old Bill Rogers quote, you line me up <laughs> against any guy that's working full time and I'm going to beat him 99 times out right. of 100. Yeah, I definitely get that. And maybe I just didn't have the courage to not do it. But, you know, having health insurance and, you know, a guaranteed <laughs> income, I always got on a starting line and it wasn't like, okay, I don't, if I don't have a great day, it's not the end of the world. 
some of these other guys mm-hmm. is like, look, if I don't make money, I don't pay rent. I'm back in my parents' basement. And I got to get a job. And well, it's like Dick. Dick had a wife who was willing to support him, which is kind of a, you know, unless that's a real tight partnership there, that that's a could be a problem. But you know, if they both have the same dream, and yeah, I wish you know, Rod. I I don't know. I never had the. I don't know what you could say. I, I we had the intelligence not to put all our eggs in one basket. At the same time, you know. I, again, I wouldn't change anything. Right. I'm, I'm kind of thinking your mileage show, you know, you really, you gained it, you kicked it up to 100, 120. Is that kind of a big, the peak for you or did you ever go no, to the I was, 140 um, range? Once I was going part-time 20 to 30 hours a week, I was able to run, you know, a lot of my 20, higher yeah. weeks between 120 and 140 with a high of 146. And yeah, that worked pretty well. And then, you know, coming off the Olympic marathon, which was no, not stellar, bad, you know, food poisoning, whatever happened. And, right. uh, you know, again, you know, kind of if things gone well, maybe that would have been a great way to kind of walk off and just kind of quietly ride away in the sunset. But it didn't go that way. So I, again, too dumb to quit. So I kept going, rabbited Chicago like three weeks later. And I thought, well, if that goes really well, maybe I'll turn around and run New York. That didn't quite, my body didn't quite feel ready to do a full. How uh, old are you at this point? I'm 34. or going to be 34 okay. around fall of 2000. And uh, so just determined to come back the following year and run as well as I could. And uh, that year I get sixth at Boston and sixth at Chicago. And, you know, the, the beauty of the marathon or the ugliness of the marathon is the guy who wins the Olympic Games from Ethiopia. I pass at 22 miles at, at Boston the following spring. You know, and he mm. looks like he's been shot from the grassy knoll. And he's just going to barely make it in. And we were all in drug testing afterwards. And the guy had a tough day. And that is the way the marathon works. It, it just can take everything totally out of you can invest so much time to try and get it right and when it doesn't go right you know it, it hurts a lot and uh yeah it's not no we you know to get down some of the stairs at the hotel that you know they put you up at boston was much easier in 2001 than it was in 1999 um yeah it was you know it, i was in a, in a good place as it comes went to the marathon i kind of felt like i figured some things out you know, again, 211 is not going to inspire the world. Um, I think when I got six mm-hmm. at Boston, I did some interview with the you know, TV station, and they brought Alberto in right after, and I was within an earshot, and Alberto said, well, no one should be going crazy over some American getting sixth at the Boston Marathon. Totally agree, mm-hmm. Alberto. If some some dudes mm-hmm. get working part, you know, 30 hours a week and getting sixth at Boston, this doesn't really professionalize the sport. And my thought was like, hopefully I'm an inspiration to guys saying, all right, I could, I'll risk it because if this guy can do it, certainly I'll be able to run faster than that. Good. And you did qualify in 2004? Yeah, I qualified in 2004. I'd run, uh, uh, I, I ran 212 at Sacramento, um, not a, or 212 or 213. Um, in the fall of 2003, I ran the New Haven 20K, which uh, has a pretty – Pretty severe downhill towards maybe about nine and a half, ten miles, um, running maybe in the top four, and uh, just felt something go in my low back and ends up my SI joint, you know. And then I get done with the race, cool down, jump in a rental car, drive back to LaGuardia, jump, you know, jump on a plane. I get out of my car in Madison, Wisconsin, and my I can't walk, and my mm. SI joint's all locked up and. Literally spent the next eight nine months just trying to you know had it injected did different things just couldn't mobilize it enough to be able to run without my hamstring just tightening up uh, really badly and um, you know that was it at that point you know 
Um, you know, the whole coaching thing at SDSU kind of evolves through uh, being at the 2003 Division II Cross Country Championships, where I was inducted into um, the Division II Cross Country Hall of Fame, which was interesting because I'd never won a D2 national meet, finished third, I think, a couple times, but never won. And uh, stayed up with uh, Paul Danger, who was the SDSU coach, playing 64 questions. And he goes, boy, you sure ask a lot of questions. You want to be a coach? I said, Paul, I can't mm. even coach myself right now. And he goes, no, seriously, you know, my, my wife is going to finish up her Ph.D. in 18th century Victorian literature from KU, and she's going to need to do a postdoc, and she's not going to be able to do that postdoc in Brookings. You know, I'm going to need to move on. This is not related to Division One. He goes, you should really think about it. He goes, you know, you can do a lot for the program in terms of name recognition. Um, you know, if you really do want to coach, you know, think about it. And the other thing that was impressed upon me that weekend were the young people that I had a chance to interact with and the way their families were involved and, you know, just that feeling of excitement of being 18 to 22 years old and being involved in the sport. And, uh, hmm. yeah, I was like, okay, thought about it and said, all right, Paul, you know, let's, let's see if we can get this done. And, you know, he worked tirelessly to help make it happen and made it happen and the rest is you know 19 years later here we are yeah literally history so <laughs> i love it i think we're getting late on time i hate to say that before we any <laughs> you know dick and i we didn't really get into any any embarrassing stories <laughs> which we, we we tend to find ourselves in all the time and uh, any anecdotes any you know i heard about this runner's house were, were you ever involved in the, the runner's house in brookings you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, but I might plead the fifth on this. <laughs> I know. Well, I mentioned that you could, you know, names could be changed to protect the guilty. Mm -hmm. But who was in the runner's house? Well, I think. Or don't you, know, you want I, to even say when who was I arrived, in the runner's house? When I arrived at SDSU, um, you know, the Marines? we had, had we had Marines? some teammates that uh, their their path to SDSU was a non-traditional one. They had spent some time in the armed forces, either the army, <laughs> the, or Marine, or the Corps. Marine Corps. <laughs> And I think when you're a 22, 23, maybe 24-year-old freshman, your, your college experience <laughs> is likely going to be different um, than yeah, – I started university as a 17-year-old freshman. And, um, you know, I think uh, Rob Beyer in particular, Joe Flannery, uh -huh. great attitudes the for guys. the sport. And they enjoyed – they were both stationed in Hawaii. And why the Marine Corps had a running team there, and they enjoyed a lot of road races, a lot of road relays, and they enjoyed life. We'll just say that. And um, you know, it was a house that kind of got passed down for a few years, and there were a lot of formal and informal gatherings that took place in this house on Sixth Street. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to uh, save that for off the camera. We'll talk some about Rod. You know, thanks so much. You know, I really. I'm a student of the sport, and you. I just got a great dissertation. You know, because your career. Uh, for South Dakota, and I know you're inducted in the Hall of Fame at South Dakota, and, and rightly so. And and you know what a, an example. I just appreciate you and your you know your willingness to to take some time with us, share your 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 career, which I think is is inspirational for any kid and, and any adult. And uh, and you're still out there and involved in the sport. I think that's what's so cool. You know, you're you're passing on to the next group. That's what we're here for is to help one another. And I think you know, hang. They say the way to stay young is hang around people younger than you. Right. You're gonna live for and forever. How about uh, that? And so, <laughs> good for you. Um, thanks again. Uh, yeah. Any parting? Any thoughts? Any comments? Well, I think you know when you look back at this whole crazy trip, it's. Uh, I think growing up in South Dakota, and you when you look at the running scene 
you know, that emerged in South Dakota in the late 70s. And you look at, mm. you know, the Prairie Striders Running Club and their ability to put on road races and set an example for a lot of other communities in South Dakota that said, hey, Brookings is doing this and they're getting people to show up. And, you know, even, you know, Edgebrook Golf Course in Brookings, you know, people don't always remember the state high school cross-country meet was held there for a number of years. And that course was essentially set up to allow cross-country to happen. And why did that happen? Right. Because a guy named Bob Bartling, who both of us right. know and adore, you know, he was on the, the park and rec board, a member of the golf, you know, the public course. And those guys set it up so the golf course would allow them to run on the perimeter and set up a, you know, state meet. And it was a, you know, obviously it wasn't the most spectator friendly course, but it was a great course. And, you know, mm -hmm. allowing something like the Jack 15 to, to cultivate, you know, the one hour runs on SDSU's campus. <laughs> you know, all those things that said, screamed SDSU was really a, a place and Brookings was a place that running mattered. Um, you know, I, th I think definitely has played a big part of the lore of South Dakota State track and field and cross country. And, you know, whether it's going back to Gary Bentley or obviously Dick Stop and Brookings or all the other characters that have come through mm -hmm. this past weekend, <laughs> you know, seeing Nick Burrow be inducted in the Hall of Fame who came sight unseen from Christchurch, New Zealand to Brookings wow. and, and, you know, made it work and overcame type 1 diabetes to become a national champion. Or even on the other side, we don't talk probably you don't probably talk a lot about the throws events, but you know Carly Brotherton, you know becoming you know multi-time All-American and conference champ while lifting with the football team in the basement of the barn. You know those are mm. you know things that were amazing. And Sexhour Field had its own charm with the pine trees and you know the thoughtfulness of how that was laid out. And you know I, I'm very fortunate to have you know that be a part of what I experienced and. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, Brookings is different. South Dakota is different and it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, we can <laughs> be proven. We can provide some pretty, you know, neat experiences out here. And, and a lot of that is that neat experiences. So many of the people that you're able to meet and how you feel, yeah. you know, based on those interactions. Well, the facilities they've got there now are fantastic. And I wish they would have had them in my day, but that's a, that's the way it works. But Rod, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, best of luck to you in this uh, season and in the rest of whatever you're going after. I know uh, you're a busy guy, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, great to chat with you, Mike. All right. Good luck to Beard. Right, hey. It was a surgery there, right? <laughs> we'll keep you in the loop. Yeah. Hey, if you're listening still, thanks for hanging in there with us. And if you have any questions for Dick or I, hopefully Beards will be back or any comments about the show, don't fail to contact us on our website, beardsanddonepod.com. Leave us a comment on Facebook, uh, Instagram, X, formerly Twitter. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, hit the subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Rod, have a great day. Uh, tell your son, Addison. He does, he's a great writer. I really enjoy his stuff. And uh, tell him hello. And is he still running? Does he run much? Uh, a little bit. He's got a bit of a hip issue that uh, cropped up in his last year at Iowa State. So... Uh, yeah, I was always impressed. He did. It. He, he had a pretty good career as well. But, yeah. Hey, have a great day and thanks again. You bet.